This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. That means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Live from the Fireside app, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Today, to help us talk about creating a family money philosophy, we welcome a woman whose name lives in infamy on this show as a verb. Prepare to be Chelsea Brennan. Hmm, I wonder what it could mean to get dugged. Probably something exceedingly positive and life-affirming. We also welcome, from the Earn and Invest podcast, Doc G. And if you've ever been penzoed, you'll recognize our next guest from LenPenzo.com. It's three toddlers in a trench coat. Nah, they're busy making new E-Trade commercials, so it's just Len Penzo. Together, they'll all get dugged during my trivia. And now, because the show must Joe on, it's Joe Salcihai. did there joe that was clever man nice job it's almost i'm like a a swordsman with words (laughs) with uh the amazing paulette perhatch helping you through all of that a little bit maybe slightly hey everybody welcome to friday fry yay here in the basement we're so happy to be the first ones to welcome you i'm joe salci hi average joe money on twitter and man do we have a show for you today because we're going to talk about having a money philosophy and then in the second half of the show if you have a family that you're trying to teach about money and other people in your life you're trying to teach about money we're going to talk about how best to teach people about money so we got a great crew to do that. And we're going to start here with the man, the myth, the legend deep under Los Angeles in his bunker, Mr. Len Penzo, I believe joins us. Hello, hello, hello. It's glad to be here. I am so excited, Len, because we are coming to party with you in uh, San Diego and in Los Angeles. Yeah, it's a twofer. It's a twofer. I love it. It's amazing. And if you you haven't had the ability to meet Len and you're there in San Diego or in LA, you get get Len. And then as a side note, you get me in this book tour. So I'm just going to try to keep up. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it's a great book, Joe. I hope everybody, uh, you're going to be autographing them, right? While we're there? Uh, for $10 extra. No, I'm kidding. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. needs a new pair of shoes. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be horrible? I mean, no. Yes. Here That's is just called America. Here is here is the number one way to make money. Write a book and charge everybody 10 bucks for your autograph. <laughs> we will be in San Diego on uh, March 6th and then uh, Los Angeles on March 8th. You'll find out more at stackingbenjamins.com slash stacked. Here joining us as well from the Windy City, the man who is behind the Earn and Invest podcast, Doc G, joins us. You know, Joe, I still have not gotten my own signed copy of Stacked. You have I mean, not? I, I went to Amazon. I bought one or two. I got a digital copy, but I don't have your signature on it. I was just thinking as, as I said that, I'm like, I haven't said, I don't think I've sent you one. Lena, I don't think I've sent you one either. No, I have a hard, I have a hard copy, but it's not signed. So I guess I'll have to bring it. I'm a, so you can sign I'm it. a horrible human With your being. 10 bucks. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <for> thanks. <laughs> okay. And that voice you heard, the woman behind Smart Muddy Mamas, she's back and probably wondering what the heck she's doing here. Chelsea Brennan is back. I'm just here for trivia. That's <laughs> just to, just to <laughs> wipe the slate with, with trivia. How are you today? I'm doing well. I feel like I see you all the time on your your Instagram channel for people who don't follow it is amazing. You will learn a lot. I'm more of a smart money papa than a smart money mama, <laughs> but I kind of ride along. But tell the few people that are here listening to you for the first time all the cool stuff you're you're doing at Smart Money Mamas. So we're doing all kinds of exciting things all the time. We're all over the place, but currently we're planning our next April live online conference, which is going to be all about building generational wealth for families. Uh, which will be April 8th through 10th. So that's taking up all my time right now is prepping for that event. April 8th through the 10th. And I know you always have a star-studded lineup of people that are helping you with these too. Oh, absolutely. So we've got Jamila Souffrant's going to be speaking, uh, Tanya Hester, Rachel Rogers. There's a whole list of people, but it's going to be an exciting lineup. So Nice. And where do people go to, to jump in? You can go to mamastalkmoney.com. Yeah, nice. And we'll link to that in our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. We got a great show today. We're going to talk about family money philosophy, which might help all of us build intergenerational wealth. But first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, now you've got your to-do list, don't you? You're ready to go dive in and be better at money than you were an hour ago when you started listening to the show. And you know what? For a great partner, become a member at Navy Federal Credit Union because... Becoming a member at Navy Federal could help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. 
Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe you want to consolidate debt. Well, when you're thinking about debt, as I've said before, a lot of people have debt. Very few people have a debt strategy. Well, with Navy Federal, you could borrow up to 100% of your home equity with a fixed rate home equity loan with zero closing cost or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. Make the plan, choose the best option because both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required, terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. All right, Chelsea Brennan's here, Len Penzo's here, Doc G is here. Let's get rolling. Today's piece comes to us from one of my favorite blogs. I think I say say that a lot, but truly a phenomenal blogger and a fantastic blog, the Frugal Woods blog about a family in Vermont who lives very frugally. And if you haven't read Liz Thames, aka Mrs. Frugal Woods book, it is an amazing story about not just becoming more frugal, but about just rethinking, do I need to purchase anything at all? And she's got a wonderful piece called How We're Establishing a Family Money Philosophy with our kids. And I want to get rid of the with our kids for the first part of this, because I think just having a family money philosophy in general sounds like a really cool thing. I remember in the book, well, not the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, but the guy that wrote it, Stephen Covey, talks about having a family philosophy and a family money philosophy is a subset of that sounds really good to me. So let's start off by asking our three contributors, if any of you have that. Chelsea, let's start with you. Did Do you have a family money philosophy? Absolutely. So we actually, in our whole community, have a concept of our family money values. We actually have a free one pager. We give all our moms to start to outline what do you believe about money? How do you talk about money in your household? What are the things you do and don't say? It's, it's also a way to avoid, hey, you know, my spouse really gets, you know, triggered for lack of a better word when I talk about money over the dinner table. So that's going to be one of our rules is that we're not going to talk about money at the dinner table. We'll save it for our weekly money meeting. But yeah, we absolutely have a set of what we call family money values. Oh, I love that. And I would think that something like that to put some guardrails up, avoid some fights. Absolutely. Like at the very least, but at the most, uh, you're going in the right direction. Uh, Len, how about you? You and the honeybee, you had two kids at home as as well for quite a while, like I did. Uh, family money philosophy? Well, from a family perspective, it, basically it's, you know, it's your responsible for your own wealth, I would say is your, but, you know, and, and I've, in the past, so that's not the overarch. The overarching one I have, I've talked about before here, is it's important to run your household as a business. So those are the two. I, I've tied them together because one, you, you bring to the kids at first about being responsible for your own wealth. But as a more overarching family, as the kids get older, uh, it's run your run your household like a business. The <laughs> cynical dude in me thinks take care of your own money sounds like don't ask dad for a handout is what that. <laughs> What that really sounds like. Is that true? Um, well, let's put it this way. When, when For my kids, I did 
early on, I tried to force them to save for everything. You know, uh, we really didn't give them anything other than their birthday presents, their Christmas presents. But any other time, like, hey, dad, can I have this or can I have that? My, I always would come back with, well, don't you have savings? What's, and if not, then you need to save more. And if you don't have enough and you're, you know, why don't you have enough? You know, if you, you've got to, it's, it always goes back on them. Yes. Did you have uh, rules like Chelsea talked about, about like, we don't talk about money at the dinner table, but we do talk about it on, you know, Thursday at four or whatever. No, we whatever just talked about it. No, we talked about it at the dinner table. We talk about anytime, anytime. Anytime. Yeah. Doc G, how about you and with your family, uh, family money philosophy? I think we do. I mean, I would describe it as spend generously on what you care about and spend minimally on everything else. I've since realized, though, that my children have their own philosophy, and that is spend generously of mom and dad's money. (laughs) I think that's every every kid. But how do you get away from that? I think you got to be really thoughtful about what's important to you, right? So what are those things that are worthwhile to spend money on for you? So for some people, that's vacations. For other people, that's hobbies. Um, For some people, that's having both Hulu and Netflix, because to them, that time sitting with the family watching movies is some of the most special time they have. So it's very individualized. And I think it just depends on what's important to you. I will share this. I did not do a great job of family money philosophy. I did a good job of involving them in conversations, my family in in money conversations about making sure it wasn't a taboo. I made sure that we talked about hustle and about how we don't get outworked. And, and often there were smarter ways to solve the problem. And we certainly, you know, had an allowance system. And so I felt like I did the pieces but a true philosophy about what was important to us, we never wrote down any of that. Chelsea, is your family uh, money philosophy, is that in writing or is that much more an unspoken? These are just kind of what we do. Yeah. So we do have a summary of it in writing. We have a one pager. And so we have like our three values that we talk about. So for us, education, quality time, and being environmentally conscious are three things that we want to make sure are reflected in how we spend our money. And so those three things are written down and we talk about it with the boys. When they, when something comes up that they want to buy, does it fit in with their values and what matters to us as a family? We have a couple of you know core beliefs written down um, as well. And then we always have our goals. Those That part of it rotates, but the top part, which is what we'd kind of consider our money philosophy, money values, it is written down in a place where we can all see it. Did, did the kids, you know, were the kids old enough to help you work on that? Was that a family discussion and meeting as you were coming up with those or, or was it the two of you? No, it was, my kids are little. So my oldest just turned or turned six tomorrow. So, um, they're only four and six, but they are involved in more than when we're making regular decisions, we bring them back to those values and we're teaching them those values, but they weren't involved in the choosing of them. It seems like, Doc G, back to you, that by Chelsea having those in writing, like that makes it easier to keep those guardrails in place. Do you ever think about with your family just writing those out? Because your kids are older, but they're they're at home. So uh, writing them out, maybe having a like a family summit where we come up with our family money philosophy? So I've thought a lot about how you kind of teach children about money. And at least in my brain, it kind of breaks three ways, right? The first is you teach them didactically, which means you sit them down and you describe to them money and give them a money philosophy. And I think that's kind of one way around it. 
The second way is you model. So, right, our parents, our children see us as parents and how we use our money, what can we, we spend our money on. Hey, Doc G, not to interrupt, but can we can we stop at that first point? Because I think this sure. is really important for parents because I'll see these these parents that are reasoning with a four-year-old. And, and when I took human development courses, when I was going into education, I learned that that is a gigantic waste of time, <laughs> Yep. That, 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 that the human brain is not developed enough yet to understand any of that negotiation. And so involving them in some of these complex things versus just telling them, nope, dad said it's important, it has zero efficacy. Yeah. I mean, I think of the three different ways that I think kids learn that the actual didactic teaching is probably the least effective. Yeah. I think modeling is probably more effective. And then there's, there's one last way, which is even more effective. Modeling's the second one. And you're like, this is why daddy drinks. Because <laughs> exactly. he's not, doesn't have the paycheck he wants. <laughs> Cause and effect. Cause and effect. Watch this. <laughs> That's probably not where you were headed with that. Uh, and then the third piece. I, yeah. Chelsea. I think having it written down is less about teaching your kids didactically, like trying to get them, explain it to them, but more setting those guardrails so that you have a place to come back to and set boundaries, especially with young kids, having those boundaries and strict, you know, this is how we deal with things makes it, there's far less of that negotiation that happens and they start to internalize some of those things that are being modeled for them on a day-to-day basis. But when we can point and say, you know, remember how we wrote this down. This is what we're, this is what we're doing now with this choice that we're making, at least with my kids. So I currently am parenting a four-year-old reasoning with him is, is not a helpful thing. Uh, but he can remember the black and white of like, Oh, I don't want that toy. Yeah. He, he cares about the sea turtles so he can tie it back. But yeah, it's, it's having that place to go back to. You know, I think it's a place for me as a parent to go back to, because I feel like if I have it in writing that I have some consistency. One thing that yeah. that my kids would always call me out on, and, and sometimes very fairly, was that I was being inconsistent in my judgment, you know, of when something fit and when something didn't. They understand that lack of consistency and the... but. But yesterday you said this, Dad, and this was your behavior and your decision making yesterday, and that is awfully humbling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm I'm having that challenge right now with the fin turn. Sorry to insert myself here, but you know, it's the opposite situation with the fin turn. Uh, he is at an age now where he's got some savings. In fact, a significant amount of savings. The fin turn makes the fire movement look like a shopaholics meeting. He doesn't spend <laughs> any money. His bank account is staggering for somebody his age in college, and he has just bought his first plane ticket, and he was prepared for a nine-hour layover in Phoenix to save $60. And I had to go the other way as a, as a parent of the Finturn and talk to him about time, you know, time value of money and, and all of that, which isn't applicable, but it sounds good. Uh, because, you know, the parenting doesn't stop when they're seven sure. or when they're 12 or when they're 15. I think that speaks to, too, that we can't parent every kid the same uh, yes. because I had a similar sh- struggle where I didn't want to spend any money. I have, I have a story I've told many times of the first Goldman Sachs bonus. I wanted a bike. I wanted a new bicycle and I could not buy the bike in my because I was like, the mon- I need the money. I need to save it in case I need it. And had a similar conversation with my mother of like, it's there and you're going to use it every day. Like, why are you earning this money if you can't actually enjoy it? And so for me, I needed way more encouragement 
to view money as a tool instead of just as an end in itself. Whereas my brother is the spender and he needed completely different money lessons than I did. Len, you've got that situation. I know with your two kids, you've talked about that your parenting style with them has been vastly different. Yeah. They're two. It's like, it's, it's amazing that they've came from, you know, the same parents. They're so different. My daughter is she is just an amazing saver. Uh, she's very responsible with her money. She's extremely business savvy. She's she does a great job making money. And my son is the is just the opposite. I mean, he gets the money and it 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 burns a hole in his pocket as soon as he gets it. And you have to approach how you teach them from different angles because you know you can't you just can't say, well, look at your you know to my son. I can say, well, look at your your sister, you know, how she saves money. You have to kind of come at different angles, you know, for him. And, and, and it's actually working now. I think he's doing a pretty good job saving after now that he's getting, he's in his early to in, entering his mid twenties, but he's, he's slowly getting there slow, but it's been a long, hard slog. Yeah. And I want to talk about some of those lessons in the second half of the show. I want to close out the first half though, by asking you all this question, which is writing down a family money philosophy, just going through that at this point in your life or Chelsea for you, like the act of revising a family money philosophy. Do you see that being something valuable here right now for you to do and to tweak? And I guess Len, we'll start with you because the kids are gone, right? And a lot of people listening to the show might not even have kids. They're like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Family philosophy for you and the honeybee having that chat important to, for the kids. No, for just you, you and the honeybee now doing well, it now. Well, we, we had that chat a long time. I, I don't know. I guess the, but don't you think that it our, changes it was in place a long time ago, but does I, it I change? Don't know, Joe, I, I don't think so. I really, I don't think so. I mean, you know, at its basic level, the philosophy is, you know, I, I hate to say this cause it's so, you know, cliche, but spend less than you earn and, and just be responsible at, at, at the highest, highest level. Right. And I don't know, it just, for us, I mean, we established that when we were first got married and it's been that way forever. And, uh, you know, there's, there's no going back and reevaluating. I don't believe now it might be a little different now that I've got retirement here coming up in about 10 weeks, but even then it still comes down to spend less than you earn. And, but now I guess it'll be, you know, spend less than, than the burn rate over (laughs) at the burn rate at some (laughs) given burn rate, you know, so you don't outlive your money basically. So your retirement funds. So, but basically it's kind of the same. I think it's the same thing. Well, Chelsea, when do you think you're going to tweak yours? When do you, when do you, do you have a like regularly scheduled meeting where you would tweak it? Usually once or twice a year, we talk about what our goals are. And I think that that's the part that changes. I think the overall philosophy of, you know, that we're saving aggressively and that, you know, how we're, how we're stewards of our money that does stay consistent, but what our priorities are on an annual basis might be different. And there are seasons when we're willing to spend more on getting some extra help because, you know, either the business is busy or the boys are in a season where they just won't stop screaming at the top of their lungs at bedtime. And like, we need some help with dinner or whatever it is. And so we'll kind of reset how our philosophy is being applied to our life once or twice a year. We just have a bigger conversation but in general, that core philosophy, I would agree, does stay the same. Doc G, for your family? I think that our family philosophy has kind of been built into our habits as a family. And so we don't necessarily write it out. But, you know, forever, for instance, when we had two incomes, one of ours got saved and one of ours got used for spending. So, for instance, when that bank account didn't have any money in it, we generally didn't spend. Um 
I think we were always thoughtful about what we bought and what we didn't bought and what we were spending our money on. So we don't necessarily write it out as a philosophy, but I think it became our family philosophy. The last point I would add in there, because we didn't we didn't finish we were talking about before is that yes, you had a third third one. The the third way kids learn about money is experiential learning. And so what actually when it comes to my kids is I want to give them the safety to have the experiences so that they can develop their own money philosophy. And do so in a way in which they don't charge up a credit card too high or get themselves in real trouble. So if I can give them the space when they're young to learn about money and have those money experiences of doing smart and not so smart things now when it's safe, hopefully they can then build their own money philosophies for their families in the future. We're going to dive into all that in the second half of today's show. But coming up next, we are going to dive into today's trivia segment. Can't wait to can't wait to do some of that. That's coming up. Well, just about right now. It's time for our trivia contest. This is the part of the show where all throughout the year on Fridays, our Friday roundtable contributors have a year-long trivia contest to see who gets the probably the ugliest trophy in sport now. Um, and supposedly they were getting a cake, and we still haven't heard from that guy, Len. We still haven't heard from the cake guy at all. Hey, speaking of that, I haven't heard from Paula since her Bengals lost to my Rams. I'm waiting for my baked. What's my baked goods? I know there's some baked goods coming your way. What's going on? Notice that she sends sends Chelsea instead today. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Uh, So Chelsea, you'll be playing the part of Paula Pant today. You have two points, which is amazing, Chelsea, that uh, Paula, a.k.a. Chelsea, is not in last because Paula's usually in last place. She's actually tied with OG, who also has two. And Doc G, we got Doc G, OG. I think that that rhymes. So we'll put you two uh, together there. And Len, in the lead with three. So Len three, OG two, Paula two, going into this week's trivia challenge. This is the part of the show where we share a trivia question that you probably won't know the answer to. So we play whoever's closest, not closest to going o- without going over. We used to do it that way. Now it's just whoever's closest. So Doug, let's, uh, let's hear today's trivia question. Thought you'd never ask Joe. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You know, lots of common verbs we use come from courageous people pushing the envelope to change lives for the greater good. For example, when we pasteurize something, that's because of Louis Pasteur, a French microbiologist, and, if you ask me, a bit of a show-off. I'm sure my name's about to become a verb any day now. Like, if you dug somebody, it would definitely be something cool, like body slamming someone into a ball pit as a way to say how awesome you think they are. And hey, I bet you didn't know that when we boycott something, that's named for Charles Boycott, who was sadly on the receiving end of an 1880 version of being canceled. One of the most effective boycotts was the Montgomery Bus Boycott, a 1955 civil rights protest during which black citizens refused to ride city buses in Montgomery, Alabama to protest segregated seating. Part of the reason it was so successful was that community leaders realized they could hit the bus in the pocket 
due to the fact that they made up such a large portion of the customer base. So my question is, what percentage of the total bus riders did the black population make up at that time? I'll be back with the answer after I dug somebody a little more. Right after, but I figure out what that really means. Great trivia question today, and uh, I didn't know where that was going until we got about halfway through. It's a roller coaster. Yes. Every time. Absolutely. I'm bobbing, I'm weaving. <laughs> so, uh, the good news for uh, uh, Chelsea Brennan is she will have the opportunity to Chelsea Brennan somebody today because she goes third. <laughs> Mr. Penzo, though, you're kicking it off. One of the most successful boycotts ever, the Montgomery bus boycott. What percentage of the population that the black population was that was the, the most of the ridership? What was the percentage? Okay, so percentage of ridership that was black in the Montgomery. Gosh, I don't know. This is a total. I'll just say I don't even know how to begin. So I'm just going to pick an <sighs> strategically Montgomery. Gosh, would it be? There is nothing strategic about how you. I know there's really nothing. I, I have no clue. I'm going to say 58. percent So they have 58 percent of the ridership, making it a f- super effective. Uh, Doc G, how about you, my friend? So as I was thinking about this, it's definitely got to be more than 50 percent. Um, but above that, I don't know. I think he's a little low at 58, but I think he's close. I'm going to say. I'm going to say 60%. 60%. So then Chelsea, <laughs> it depends where you think you should be because it's probably not in the middle. It might be in the middle. I don't want to dissuade you. Yeah, do 59. You Chelsea Brennan yes. yourself. <laughs> you could Chelsea you Brennan yourself right on both on sides. <laughs> I remember it was a staggeringly high number. And I don't want to go. So I'm going to go higher. I'm going to go with 68%. 60, she does not Chelsea yeah, she Brennan does not do the Chelsea Brennan. I was sure you were going to take the 61. I, I think it was more than that. All right. Well, guess what? <laughs> so you're trying to show off is what, That's what you're right. really doing. <laughs> she's going she's gonna to flex the fact that she may be right. We'll see, though. I, I don't know. I wish I could tell you if she's right or not, but uh, we don't play that way. We'll be right back. Dell Tech Fest starts now. To thank you for 40 unforgettable years, Dell Technologies is celebrating with anniversary savings on their most popular tech. For a limited time only, save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13 Plus, where you can make the everyday easier with Windows 11. Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com slash deals, you'll have access to leading edge technology and free shipping on everything. Again, that's dell.com slash deals. Stackers, you've heard the bad news. Mint is shutting down. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, well, there is some good news. There's a better alternative. Monarch Money, it's what Cheryl and I use to manage our money. I, as you know, advocate a weekly meeting and Cheryl and I live by that weekly meeting. We sometimes miss it, but we get back on the horse. And half the reason is, is because we consistently get updates and reminders from uh, Monarch money. I'm a notifications off kind of guy, but with Monarch, I want to see the notifications because it helps us collaborate 
We have our goals right next to the short-term spending that we have when we open up the app so we can see exactly what we're truly going for. And, you know, compare that thing in the moment that we want with what's the long-term goal. It's truly the next generation of personal finance apps. If you've been frustrated that there's ads all over your app or it's difficult to use or doesn't get updated, the Monarch people were too. And that is why they built a new kind of personal finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and constantly improving based on customer feedback. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, your investments, your transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you head to monarchmoney.com slash benjamins. That's monarchmoney.com slash benjamins. You're going to get to kick the tires for 30 days, which I absolutely love because you want to make sure that it's for you. And I think the longer you use it, the more you will see like I did, that uh, it's intuitive, number one. It has this very simple design that makes it easy to set up, customize, and use. It's easy to collaborate. Uh, Cheryl has her login. I have mine. We can set up how we want. And you can send it to your financial advisor as well to have them have a login. Anybody who's on your team, and you know what? No extra fee for that, which is amazing. It's all customizable, customer-focused, ad-free privacy you can trust. They'll never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. So after trying out Monarch for myself, I get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, you can try it too with an extended 30-day free trial. All you have to do is go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Len, you kicked it off with 58% and uh, Doc G decided that he thought you were close. So he snuggled up next to you. I have no idea. I have, I have, I can't even tell you. Doc G, 60%. Chelsea was nice to you. If it's 59, you tie with Len and you got all the way to 64, my friend. So you got a little breathing room. Yeah, I, I, I think it's close. I just, I don't know what it is. And Chelsea, how you feeling at 68%? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling, I actually, I actually think it was higher than that, but that seems, I didn't want to go, go too far. Well, guess what, Chelsea? There's only one way to find out. And that's when I press this button. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Our question was, when black riders in Montgomery, Alabama boycotted bus service, it was because they knew they made up what percentage of the bus ridership? Well, here's how it all started. Before the bus boycott, Jim Crow laws mandated the racial segregation of the Montgomery bus line. That meant black citizens were not only forced to ride in the back of the bus, they were frequently ordered to surrender their seats to white people. This happened on December 1st, 1955 to Rosa Parks, who refused and was arrested for failing to obey the driver's seat assignments. Though it took them just over a year, they were able to pull off one of the most successful boycotts in history, integrating the bus seating. So what percentage of the riders did the black population make up, which made it successful? a full 75%. And that means the Chelsea Brennan is our winner. (laughs) Hey, the crowd goes wild. You were showing off Chelsea. That's very, I get very good. Nice job. And by the way, uh, there's a fantastic museum in Detroit where Rosa Parks ended up living and it's at the, it's actually in Dearborn at the Henry Ford museum. And you can, uh, you can go sit in the bus. And I have to tell you, it is, it is a, 
I never thought sitting in a bus would be such a transformative experience. It was, uh, it was very emotional sitting there. Doug, you've lived in the Detroit yeah. area for a long time. You go yeah, sit yeah. in the bus. It's it, yeah, that's impactful. That'll leave a mark for sure. Yes. It opens your eyes. That whole museum, the Henry Ford Museum, is a fantastic museum in Greenfield Village right next to it. Yeah. Just I mean, after the Smithsonian, well. that may be one of the greatest museums in, in America, actually. It, and it and it doesn't get enough recognition. It right does now. not. That one doesn't. A museum that's a few uh, hours from here, just north of us, the Crystal Bridges American Art Museum, also doesn't get recognized enough. Those are two, I think, gems that if you're anywhere in the vicinity of either one of them, you, you, you got to go. Second half of this conversation where we'll get a little bit more technical is brought to you by Magnify Money. Doug, when you head to stackybenjamins.com slash magnify money, you know what happens? Bob Ross comes out of retirement and paints those happy little trees again? <laughs> Almost. Is it retirement or has, has Bob Ross passed away? I don't. I don't. No, no, no. I no. don't know. Yeah, he, he Bob passed Ross away. can't die. I was going to say, I thought that he, <laughs> he yeah. He died. Yeah, Bob what? Ross's don't die. They live on in PBS morning I, Yeah, I morning still shows. watch him. There's a brand new Bob Ross board game, by the way, that everybody talks about is just absolutely, (laughs) seriously, it's fantastic. It is very lo-fi, but believe it or not, it's incredibly mellow. It's a mellow game. You don't play to win as much as you play for happiness, apparently. So it's good. Uh, No, what you find is that those brick and mortar banks where you uh, do most of your shopping for products like savings accounts, checking accounts, CDs, probably not best in class. You'll find best in class at Magnified Money where they rank over 92% of all the stuff available head to head. Head to stackingbenjamins.com slash Magnified Money for more. By the way, they have a great blog. Fantastic blog at Magnify Money and uh, lots of diving into how all this stuff works. So if you like to read Magnify Money blog, we can highly recommend. All right. Something else we recommend is teaching about money. And uh, Liz uh, from Frugal Woods, Liz Thames, who wrote this piece at frugalwoods.com, wrote how she teaches her kids about money. And before she gets into, we get into her stuff, let's talk about the basic lessons of teaching your kids about money. Doc G, I want to start with you because you talked about how, you know, kids like spending mom and dad's money, which I think is the case for everybody listening with children. How did you teach your kids to, uh, Well, what were the basic building blocks? So we thought a lot about this. And as they got old enough to understand money, um, we did the kind of basics when they were really young. But when they got to a certain age where they started understanding money, what we decided is, as opposed to giving them a weekly allowance, we gave them a yearly allowance, which we would give them in the beginning of January. Yearly. And it would be, you know, we would take the weekly and multiply it by, you know, 52 and then give that to them. And we would very clearly define this is what we as the parents pay for. And this is what you as the kids pay for. And now you've got to budget yourself for the rest of the year. And that was interesting, right? Because they had to decide when they could buy candy, when they couldn't buy candy, if they wanted an electronic, when they could buy that. And there certainly were some situations where, for instance, uh, my son lost his phone and all of a sudden he had a new item to buy that he didn't have money for because he had been spending his money pretty aggressively as the year went on. I got to believe it would have been easy for you to think when he breaks his phone that you're going to bend the rules quote just this one time. I mean, it's tempting, but on the other hand, what's the point of doing it then? And and certainly as parents, we 
wanted to pay for as little as possible. I mean, come on. So this was a good chance to say, you know what? You had the money for the year. You decided to spend up front and that's okay because hopefully you enjoyed those things. But now you will not have enough money to buy something that you want. You can't, you know, you can't give the kids much, you know, give them, give them an inch and they take a foot. I want to ask about readiness because Liz in this piece says you have to wait until they're ready. And I would think to have a budget that is a, that where you're budgeting a year doc is there's got to be a big level of readiness before you get to that point. What, uh, what age did you begin this at? I think we started about 10, 10 or 11. Okay. So it wasn't, you know, our five-year-old or a six-year-old. But once they kind of understood basic math, once they kind of understood coins and what things cost, then we started doing that. So I, I believe it was sometime around 10. Liz writes, this is the approach you followed pretty much every aspect of our parenting. Potty training, wait until the child wants to and is ready. Sports, wait until they express interest and they're ready. I'm in no rush for my kids to grow up and I'm not interested in forcing them to do something they're not cognitively or emotionally ready for. Every single time I've tried to force one of our kids into something they're not ready for, it ends in tears, theirs and mine. So I now try to sit back and let them lead. Uh, Chelsea, do you have a similar approach? Uh, What are the building blocks that you're using to start teaching your kids about money? So both of our boys already have allowance. They get weekly allowance. They're not ready for the year yet, although that's a great idea. And we started when they started asking for money. And so both boys, you know, obviously they're four and six. George got to start. My youngest got to start when he turned three. He probably wasn't quite ready, but he wanted to do what Big Brother was doing. So we uh, we let him start a little bit earlier. Uh, and Henry, we started around four and they have uh, save, spend and give jars and they have to split their money equally into those jars. And they need to always have a savings goal and always have a giving goal. And so we have charts for them that we print out. They pick something that they're working on saving for or donating to. Uh, And every week they put the money in their jars, they fill it out. And then their spending money is just for any little extra things they want. They can't ask for stuff in the grocery store aisle. They can't, you know, if they want toys, they have to either, you know, save up for it or use their spending money. And so we do, do Sundays are our allowance mornings. It's funny when you talk about the grocery store, I used to get frustrated with my kids asking for stuff in the grocery store. And then I realized that number one, I'm with you that we just don't ask that. But number two is that there's a lot of teachable moments in the grocery store. And I was so busy, Chelsea, being frustrated that I forgot like talking about unit cost and product comparison. And do we really need that? Like there's the grocery store is this huge opportunity for parents. Yeah, we actually have a few different activities we do with the boys. And obviously we don't do it every time we go into the store because we don't always have time. But one of the things that we'll do with them is set aside you okay you have twenty dollars for fruit this week you guys decide what kind of fruit you want to get and let them walk around and figure that out now that the six-year-old can do the math they he helps his younger brother but they'll figure out really quickly that they can get like two containers of strawberries or a whole bag of apples a whole bag of oranges and like other things that they want uh we let them decide that we'll also set budgets for their school snacks like okay you know, we're in this aisle, you have $10, like figure out what you want to do. And so it gives them that opportunity to test budgets, to start to look at the prices, to understand price per weight in, in the fruit aisle. And so, yeah, there's a lot of different things we do in the grocery store with that. Hey, Chelsea, what's the weekly budget for Twizzlers and Mike and Ike's? Uh, zero, because I don't want to give the toddler any more reason to climb the walls. 
<laughs> got enough got enough wall climbing going on already. Hey, let's I'm just two uh, little hockey players. It's chaos already. And and they don't even play hockey. That's just what you call them around the house. Is that exactly, it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's because they have to wear hockey helmets at all times. So that's <laughs> chucking each are. other into the boards, right? Exactly. <laughs> AKA the walls. Good times. Good yeah. Times. Yeah. Lynn, how about you with your kids? They're older like mine. Let's talk about the basic building blocks that you used. Well, what I did is they, they got paid on every a chore and they had a ledger book. And so, um, and it's probably old fashioned now, but they literally had a, a, a paper ledger book with debits and credits. And whenever they did a chore, we signed off on it and gave them an, put X amount in their ledger book. And then at the end of every month, if they had a positive balance, this was basically a bank account and they had a positive balance. I paid them interest. I paid them a small amount of interest on their savings. And if they were overdrawn, I penalized them. So um, they kind of learned to incentive, try to incentivize them for saving. So for my daughter, it worked great. For my son, he didn't give a darn. He, you know, he always, that ledger book was always down near zero for him. So that's what, that's what I did. You know, we just tried to teach him that way. So you know, Len and, and Joe, I'm going to jump in here. We did something similar uh, back in the dark ages when the Finn turn and his brother were younger, but we found that when they were really young, the whole concept of money was just a little bit too esoteric for them. And so if we said, Hey, you're going to earn a dollar if you vacuum or, you know, a dollar 50, if you clean up your, t- whatever it is, we kind of did the reverse. It's like a blend of what doc G does and what you did. And this is again, going back a little while, but we would put their $5 or their $10 a week allowance in a Ziploc bag and put it, use a magnet and put it on the refrigerator so they could see the $5 that week or the $10 that week. And for every chore they didn't do, we would take money out so they could see. I kind of like your ledger (laughs) idea because that's very tangible. Like they could see the, the, the representation of the money we did. We went like another step further and actually put the, (laughs) the currency in a bag on the refrigerator so they could see it leaving. Yeah. Otherwise, they were just opting not to do the work because they didn't realize the connection. This is, again, when they were pretty small, but um, just another parenting method. I wished I found a way to incorporate into that what Chelsea had said about having a third you know, jar for you know, charitable giving, which Rockefeller did even, you know, way back when. And I just, I love that. And I, I learned that lesson too late, but I think that's a great, you know where I saw that. And I don't know if that's where Chelsea saw, I saw that on Sesame street. I saw Elmo's say he, they had the three jars on Sesame street. Is that where you saw that Chelsea? That is not where I saw that. I actually learned that from uh, Ron Lieber's The Opposite of Spoiled, which is a great book on teaching kids about money. And and by the way, I think that that I wish I'd have thought of the grocery store thing where you give the kids money to buy fruit or, you know, snacks or whatever. Man, I wish I'd have thought of that. That is that is excellent. That's a great idea. Can I have one more thing I wanted to bring up too, Joe, is that I thought was very important. And it's very hard for a parent to do it. And it's to let kids make their own money mistakes. Um, there were times when my son wanted to spend, you know, a hundred percent of the money he had in his ledger. Maybe, maybe he had $60 or $50. He wanted to buy it. I remember one time he wanted to buy a, one of those remote control helicopters that were at the time they were just coming out and he bought one and I knew it was going to be a disaster, but he bought it and he broke it within, you know, 10 minutes of it coming out of the box. And you know, I just said, well, there went your, you know, all your money's gone and that's the way it goes. You know, you just have to let them make their mistakes. I, I figured it's better to let them make the mistakes, you know, when they're young and they're relatively inexpensive than, you know, if you coddle them until they're adults and they don't 
well, they're making the mistakes. The it's much more it can be much more expensive. Absolutely, and even if you don't think that it's coddling, and I certainly don't think that my parents coddled me, but they didn't want me to make money mistakes. So I, I didn't ever handle a lot of money until I got to college, and then had you know my monster credit card debt problem, and didn't really have any idea of the value of a dollar until long after I should have. But my parents never let me make like a like a ten dollar mistake. You know, I then later on I was making five hundred dollar and thousand dollar mistakes, and if I had had a couple of those ten dollar mistakes, it would have been big. What I had to do with my kids' lime was very similar. We would be at a store, and my daughter would want to spend money from her allowance on a certain thing, and I knew it was a total waste of money, and I would literally put it in my calendar for the next week to circle back. And just say, how do you feel about that now? Like 10 days later, how do you feel about that? Was that really worth the money? Because it's 10 days later, you don't even remember, you don't know where this thing is. You got no idea. It's completely gone. But I think letting them make a mistake is huge, but you don't want to get rid of their confidence, you know? So that that circling back, Len, I think is a huge part of letting them make the mistake. I, I agree with you. Like I said, it is as a parent, you know, it's one of the hardest, it's, Oh, it's so hard. It's hard it is to hard. let them do it. It's so hard. Yeah. You're, you're we like- had a, we had the, we were at the fair last year and we gave Henry who's at the time was five, $5 to buy, you know, buy something at the fair and he dropped it and lost it and was in tears about this $5. And we, we like, it was so hard to not just give him another $5, but to be like, you were, remember you're supposed to put it in your wallet. So you didn't lose it. And like you, but you just shoved it in your sweatshirt pocket and it fell out but now he it's, he's only six he's about to turn six he always knows where his wallet is and whether he's going to bring it to the store or not like we some we went to target last week and he was like i think i'm gonna leave my wallet at home because i don't need anything and i don't want to lose oh, that's it there you go. awesome i do i tell that to cheryl every time so we spend her money instead of mine <laughs> you know something about the way that that Chelsea is talking, you know, telling some of her stories about her younger kids makes me, you know, reminds me, remember that book, everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten by Robert Fulham. Yes. You know, this whole discussion about parenting and, and, and lessons for our young children, it, all of them apply to us as adults. You just need to add a comma. Right. right. <laughs> but I'm not think. trying to be funny, but no. really, I mean, yes. it, it, it really all is very, very simple when it comes down to it. And we can wrap our heads around it so easily when we're talking about children, but somehow we make it really complicated when we're adults and it doesn't necessarily have to be. Yeah, I agree, Doug. Uh, dumbing it down and, and making it much easier. And also the effects of, right, the magnitude of these same discussions that if we let kids have these horrible times at five and 10 years old, you're avoiding much, much bigger misery with commas in the numbers later on. Before we move on real quick, Joe, I'm curious, Doc, if you guys pay your kids for chores, because you'd mentioned that, Len, about you know having this ledger for chores. We've made the conscious decision to not pay our kids for chores. We look at allowance as an investment in their financial stewardship, because I don't want to be arguing whether their room is clean enough to get paid for it. And like, there's so much, we read some research about the, similar to paying kids for grades, they'll learn to do the bare minimum <laughs> to get what they need to do instead of doing the job because it's important about being part of the household. So we have a rule that if they're, they can be paid for things around the house if they're allowed to say no. So they're not allowed to say no to making their bed or cleaning their room. 
they are allowed to say no to helping dad stack wood on Saturday afternoon. And so they can get an extra couple bucks if they do that. And so we've kind of drawn those guidelines, but I'm curious, Doc, how you do that. And then Len, how you set those guidelines about what was done enough to check it off in the ledger book. Yeah, I would say that we in our household, anything done around the house is expected as a member of this household. You don't get paid for stuff around the house. And we never did. So our kids are, if we ask our kids for help for anything around the house, they're expected as participants of this household to do those things, including taking care of the room and doing the dishes and helping with the laundry if it's necessary or whatever. Yeah. For me, well, the honeybee mom, she was the final arbiter of whether something was done satisfactorily or not. So um, I don't think that was really ended up being a major issue. I mean, you know, if their room wasn't clean enough, their room wasn't clean enough and they weren't getting paid. So, you know, I don't think it, it wasn't that difficult in, in that uh, regard. You know, it, it's, it tended to work. Uh, and it, and basically it kind of solved itself because, you know, the only time the kids, our kids got money was birthdays, Christmas, and uh, that was it. And then otherwise they had to do their chores. So, and it kind of forced them to do their chores. Uh, you know, because they didn't have to do their chores, they didn't have money, and they couldn't spend it on anything. And and my kids, you know, they've, they're like most kids, they always want things, you know, because usually when they'd say, well, can I have this? It was always, how much is in your ledger? How much do you have in your savings? You know, so it kind of encouraged them to, you know, know that, hey, you have to work. Nobody's giving you anything. You have to earn you know, your wealth, basically. So a great friend of mine who's a financial planner in uh, Los Angeles has a jobs board for her two daughters where she puts off various jobs that she wants done around the house. Nothing that's urgent, but a bunch of stuff that will, you know, beautify the place or or nagging things that she and her husband don't want to do. And they put them up on the job board and the, the kid can negotiate the job. So now these are for a middle schooler and a high schooler, but not only are they taking the job, but they can also talk about how they can maybe supersize the job to earn even more money. So it begins to get some negotiation in there. I thought that was pretty neat as well. Yeah. There are so many great things, but we got to leave this discussion there. I want to end with one little piece about this, which is, and Chelsea, you brought up that there's, you know, there's a bigger community that we all live in, right? You were talking about the environment. We talk about our local community here in Texarkana and being a part of that and giving back to the community around us. Is that a part of your family money philosophy? And I think that this will be a great place to end it. Uh, Len, let's start with you. Did you guys dive into anything uh, charitably wise with your kids and the family money philosophy? Yeah, we always had a, a, a jar for things for them to donate to for like cancer or whatever. And that was part of the, it was up to them though, what they wanted to give, you know, we yeah. didn't say you had to give this, but yes, we showed that that was important. You do have to give back. So yes. Yeah. Doc G, how about you? We definitely included them in conversations of our family giving every year. So we have a donor advised fund and we would often look as the year got towards the end of, okay, what, who, and what do we want to donate to? And we would include those, them in those conversations. And then we also talked to them about not just donating money, but donating time, you know, Things like soup kitchens are places where they can volunteer their time and kind of the importance of both. So we try to have them be a part of those conversations. Brooke from our team, she writes the wonderful 201 newsletter you can sign up for, which are deep dives twice a week into many of the conversations we have here at stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. If you'd like to sign up, always free and unsubscribe at any time. But Brooke says, we have a young baby, but we've already been talking about how to introduce the concept of money to him, the basics of saving, etc. But we also created a charitable philosophy that we're starting now and we'll teach him 
much later. So she's she's on that train. I know, uh, Chelsea, before we get to you, listen to this one. You'll appreciate this. I had a client when I was a financial planner who wanted to incorporate charitable giving into his family. So when kids got their allowance, he would withhold taxes he would give it to them and he would take it away so that they knew that taxes suck and they needed to find tax strategies. But then that tax that he withheld went into a charitable giving jar and the family at the end of the year decided what to do with it. How about that twofer lesson? I love it. So obviously we have our giving jars with our boys and we also have a donor advised fund doc. And so they're still too young to really understand giving at that level. It's too amorphous. And so we really try to focus their giving to be age appropriate. So for my youngest, who's four, this can really be like a friend is sad and he wants to buy them a card or something like this is ways to just bless people right around him. And then we also do things that are really interesting to them. So both boys love uh, wildlife and animals. We read about animals and endangered species all the time. And so they'll save up to do those kind of fake adoptions through the World Wildlife Fund where they get a certificate. Um, and then we, we use that as an opportunity to talk about, you know, how is that money helping these animals and how does this work? And so eventually we want them more involved in the donor advised fund conversations. But for now, we just want to make giving something that they can tangibly understand. Man, I hope people were taking notes uh, today because you all just were amazing. And there was so many great takeaways during this time. So thanks so much for sharing all of that goodness. I know that there's going to be there's going to be a lot of people rewinding this and making sure that they got all of it. Well, that's going to do it for today, everybody. Hey, let's find out what's happening where you all live, and we'll let our special guest of honor, although she's been here so many times, I think of Chelsea Brennan Moore's family. I think she's an imposter because she didn't even Chelsea Brennan. I know. Uh, Who is this person? <laughs> yes. Uh, damn, you caught me. I had someone else call in. <laughs> Just totally. Yeah. But we'll have our guest of honor, Chelsea, go last. Let's, uh, Len, then, you're first, my friend. What's going on at the lenpenzo.com always the hard-hitting stuff at lenpenzo.com this week we're discussing four frugal dining spots that most people never consider going to but getting a really good meal yeah i was surprised to see your neighbor's garbage at number three (laughs) (laughs) you're giving it you're giving come on joe there's only four of them and you've just thrown one of them right out the window (laughs) all that at lenpenzo Dot com. That's amazing. And of course, the black coffee fun. You have so much fun writing the black coffee stuff, don't you? I do. It's a yeah, it's a labor of love. Yes. It's a great Every Saturday at Lenpenzo.com. Stop yeah. on by. Great, great weekend reading, peeps. Uh Doc G, what's going on at the Earn and Invest podcast, my friend? So we just had an episode with Ryan Shaw. He is a pharmacist who decided to invest in properties on college campuses. Get this, he owns six properties and he cash flows $17,000 a month Wow, on six properties. So I'm not a big fan of like doing the episode where he bought this many rental units in this many years and now he's a millionaire. But this story is truly amazing. And you'll find that at the Earn and Invest podcast where finer podcasts are distributed. So Chelsea, you kick this whole thing off by telling us what's going on at the summit, but I'm sure there's got to be something left that's coming up that you did not tell us about. Absolutely. So in the Motivated Mama Society, which is our membership community, we have been doing monthly financial bingo challenges. So we're just setting a goal of doing one small money task every day to start to build that momentum towards your goals. And so we start another one um, on March 1st. 
That's awesome. And to get all that goodness? Just head to Smart Money Mamas. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us again, Chelsea. This is always fun. And and I know we try to have you on at least a couple times a year, but I just feel like we don't do this enough. We'll have to come back sooner this time and we'll see you in Boston. I know that'll be so be so fun. By the way, one last thing, just two uh, two board game geeks, one to the other. What are you playing? Anything good? We've been playing Parks. Oh, that's so um, good. Recently, such a good game. What a great game. Yes. You're, it, you got these little hikers and you're hiking the national parks. You are. And it, Jeremiah, my husband is uh, the big board game geek in our family. So he's been play testing lots of unpublished games lately. So I can't really share what that is, but there's some cool games coming out. <laughs> that's, that is, that is awesome. And he's a huge game nerd, which is another reason I can't wait to come to Boston. All right. Enough of that. Cause I will make that a whole separate podcast episode. Doug, you got it from here, my friend. What should we have learned today? You're damn right I got it from here, Joe. First, money philosophies for your family. Your kids will have a money philosophy one way or the other, so you should work together to help them learn some great financial values. Second, there's an easier way to earn 10 bucks than charging for autographs, Joe. All you need to do is set aside your dignity and scruples for about 10 minutes. I'll tell you about it after the show. But the big lesson... Turns out there's a whole process for getting your name changed into a verb. There's forms to fill out, probably like feats of strength. You got to get senators involved and proof of about 30 years of use in colloquial terms. Feel free to start using my name as a verb, people. Let's get this started. And not in the way that Joe usually does, like in really cool, positive ways. Thank you to Chelsea Brennan for joining us today. You can find Chelsea's next conference at mamastalkmoney.com. And you can find her podcast, Smart Money Mamas, wherever finer podcasts like this one is found. Thanks to Len Penzo for joining us today. You can find Len Penzo at lenpenzo.com slash guitar hero slash almost a rock star. <laughs> Thanks also to Doc G for joining us today. You can find his podcast, Earn and Invest, wherever you're listening right now. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is written in part by Paulette Perhatch, who helps writers power their words, their work, and their earning potential. Need help getting your writing done? Join her at free writing sessions called A Very Important Meeting at AVeryImportantMeeting.com. Thanks also to our team who made today possible. Karen Repine is our producer. Tina Eichenberg and Gertrude Smith are our social media mavens. And Brooke Miller handles the show notes and our amazing newsletter, The 201. Not only should you not take advice from these dorks, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. That's it for today. We'll see you back here on Monday on Stacking Benjamins.
Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. I'm always amazed by the way that hanging out here live on fireside that we don't lose people when we go to the after show. So uh, nice job team today on a special Tuesday edition. It's also very weird making these things live. I, I love it. And I have to tell you having all these little buttons is a little intimidating. But another thing that's intimidating is, uh, and we'll keep this short because we are running a little long, is turning your name into a verb. Chelsea, do you ever have people comment about your name being a verb on the Stacking Benjamin show? I've only had it happen once. And it was really, the funny part is we had just moved into our new house and we have a neighbor that listens to the Stacking Benjamin show and to Choose F.I., and was all excited uh, that we were now living next door. And she's like, people say Chelsea Brennan all the time. And to have somebody that was like, now lives next door to me is very interesting experience. Well, but the process here was easy. You do something one time and we immortalized it. And uh, But the real process of getting your name immortalized, getting dug. Uh, Doug, you had a group of friends, I believe in college, that actually wanted to put your name out there. Uh, we're going here. Yeah. I, I thought uh, this was what our after show was going to be about. The whole thing is about me? No. Yes. He's God, like, no. stop, go, stop, go. No, no really, go. No, stop, go. I swear, go. this is not enough of an after show. But yeah, I mean, my last name definitely got turned into a verb. I'm not giving my last name out, but uh, it, it was probably not the positive uh, connotation that I'd hoped for and dreamed of <laughs> as a young boy. Uh, but if you crash your car, that was known as, you know, but they got it added. Name. Can't you find it in urban dictionary? No, that happened much later in a very drunken, uh, Cinco de Mayo night at a bar. <laughs> and, uh, wait, are you saying that your, your last name really is a verb? Well, only by about 60 or a hundred people from the, late 80s early 90s but but well no you said it was in the urban dictionary well somebody i you know i've never gone to look and god now now tens of people are going to but but yeah that night at the bar at cinco de mayo when i had my first ever jello shots uh and things got really sideways i know that there was somebody working furiously on their phone to get me into the urban dictionary can anybody beat that the bar's high, Doc G. Are you in the Urban Dictionary? So here's the thing. So my real name is Jordan, right? So that's my first name. And oh. I grew up in Chicago. So <laughs> if you played basketball and someone, you know, went right by you and dunked on you or, or, or did a good move, they, they might say you got Jordaned, right? So kind nice. Of. But it wasn't really referring to me because oh, I but didn't you, but really you claim have that, that many basketball kidding. skills. You're yeah. the other guy in Chicago. The other Jordan in Chicago. Yes. yes. Yeah, you claimed it all. You're like, yeah, they're talking about me. No, there's <laughs> Chicago Bulls guy. He's he's okay too, but it truly is He's me. like two and a half feet taller than me, but they're talking about me. Yes. Yeah. You know what? I could, I could be two and a half feet taller and I still wouldn't have any basketball skills. So, <laughs> Chelsea, people give competitive names in sports. Anybody before us uh, turn your name into a verb or do something uh, crazy with it? No, not really. Hockey is really just good at adding an S-Y to the end of everybody's name. <laughs> you know, you've got, like, um, so my, my maiden name is Bolton. So I was Boltsy for my whole hockey career. And so was my brother. And other than that, nothing, nothing major. Yeah. It, it sounds Canadian then Boltsy. Okay. They're they do Bolt, it to everybody's Boltsy. name. If you go watch a hockey game, 
it's hilarious that the, all the players, everybody, unless they, they can do no their creativity out of outside of that, <laughs> unless they can do like their to their first name, just Stevie, Stevie Y. Remember Stevie Y? <laughs> yeah, good stuff. There, there's there's ten entries in the Urban Dictionary for you, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, uh, do you know that? I'm controversial, man. I am nothing if not controversial. It's, it's a slippery slope. No, I try to look at Urban Dictionary as little as possible because I learn things do, I don't. Do you want to see what? The, do you want? Can I say what the what? Are, what are these any of them family are? friendly? Yeah, well, some. Okay, so let me read some. I won't without saying the what Super. it is. Here's one. Here's one definition: to waste time doing unimportant things. <laughs> <laughs> You'll like this one. I, I, I assume you entered this one yourself. A cool or awesome person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's another one I think you entered. The greatest person you ever met. Uh, I think says, th- th- this sounds like a night at a bar where you guys are dueling the sexiest, over the- Here's one. The sexiest fat kid I know. Oh my God. That is dead <laughs> on. Extraordinarily large bush. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Delete, I'll delete, stop delete. I think that's a good one. Uh, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I love museums. My family hates me, though, when I go to museums because I'm I bet you dive person. in. Yes, yeah. I, I like to sit at a display there and read and, and learn about it. And the rest of my family is like, you know, they look at the whatever they're looking at and nod their head and then let's go to the next spot. You know, I'm like, you know, stay here. I want to read, you know, about what, what, what this yeah. is about. That's what I found. I've actually found when going to museums by myself is phenomenal. It is a great use yeah. of time because you're not arguing yeah. with anybody about, <laughs> you know, why are you staring at that picture so long? Exactly. Yeah. One of the, one of the very first progressive commercials about how not to become your parents, what, and they don't show it anymore, but they showed a dad stopping to read one of the roadside historical markers, which I am tempted to do every single time I drive past one. I'm putting tire marks on the pavement because I want to stop so fast and go back and read it. And my family will not let me. When we, w- when we went out to see Len, when we were visiting all those national parks out West and we were homeless, <laughs> which is really why we were visiting Len. Cause you know, when you're homeless, you got to try to beg off the pensos. That's what you do. But we would stop at all those markers and you're right, Doug, they were phenomenal. But I think you are turning 80 when you decide you want to, Oh, this is interesting. Embrace it. Yes. Yeah. You know, I do want to say that mu- the new music, I like it better. Uh, I do too. I think, I think uh, Gertrude did a great job. Is that one Len Penzo on guitar? That, 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 no, yeah. come on, Doug. We, that's you, buddy. I do not know, by the way, Len, when I made one of my moves, I do not know what happened to your CD. And it's driving me crazy. Cause I'll bring, I, I tell you what, I'll bring some, uh, I got a whole bunch. You know what? I'll you know bring some, I'll bring a whole bunch and just give them away. <laughs> just, Joe, worth. you know where that CD is? It's in your car from 1998. <laughs> it's still in the CD player. Yes. <laughs> I played it. I played it nonstop. Did you hear Len CD? No. Oh, it's so not. good. It is good music. I, I well, absolutely you, love Joe. it. Yeah, well, it's good you. stuff. Uh, I imagine it to be like a Weird Al Yankovic. Not at all. Oh, oh no, 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 no. This is a really good song that Len refused to sell. And maybe we'll tell that in a future show again, because it's been a while since oh, you've yeah, told that, that, that story. Cost wow. Me. Yeah. Yes. Didn't want to sell out to the man. I know. Yeah, I had a chance. It, it could have been a famous Michael Bolton song. I could have been a contender. <laughs> it probably it would have. It could have very well have been. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that guy up there, that Bolton dude, singing my material. Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal's savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe you want to consolidate debt. Well, if you're thinking consolidation, that's part of your plan. You could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed rate home equity loan with zero closing cost or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. What I like, you make your plan first and then you use the appropriate instrument to get you there. And Navy Federal has them. Both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org at Navy Federal. Our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. Equal housing lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loan subject to approval.